Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. We're here this afternoon coming up quickly on our 29th anniversary together. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous shows. And you may also go to the free app SoundCloud. This Thursday after the news is 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a great idea to begin at the top of the hour with a call or a text. It will give me ample time to answer it. Also, will you avoid having to listen to me bloviate? 512-836-0590. Here's a text that just came in. Okay. Hey, Carl, I don't think I've ever heard you tackle this topic in the 25-plus years I've been listening. Well, you've got to... <laughs> Thank you. You have a good memory. Do you have any advice for people who have done their due diligence over the decades and are now sitting on a huge pile of assets but can't bring themselves to spend money? I was a local truck driver for 33 years in Central Texas. I lived beneath my means, saved and invested in real estate, stocks, and bonds. I would commonly say to people, young Michael is saving for old Michael. At 63, it's become apparent that my wife and I, with our modest spending habits, will outlive our mo- will not outlive our money. I've spent a lifetime seeking value for every and every dollar. Therefore, it's mentally impossible to flip the switch and splurge. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, Congratulations on living below your means. That's kind of un-American. Congratulations to you. I think, and I understand what you're saying, because I saw this in the boomer generation who grew up during the Great Depression, lived through and perhaps fought in World War II, and uh, saw people lose everything, lose their farms, lose their homes, lose their jobs. And as a result, they were very, very conservative and tended to live well below their means and keep money in the bank. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But when they retired, they had Social Security, in many cases a pension, and they had the savings, and they couldn't change. Well, that's human behavior. You've done the right thing from a financial planning standpoint. You and your wife have all your lives. And... It's like being right-handed and then at age 63 decide you're going to become left-handed. You just can't do that. So I think what I would start with is I would go to to our marriage and to our life experiences and ask what our values are. You clearly have a value of saving and prudence, but are there organizations that you would like to help, which you would like to help? Perhaps your church or synagogue. Or there may be some particular, you may be interested in education. You could help if you live in Austin, I'm sure it's true in other school districts. They all have what are called supporting organizations like the Austin Education Fund. 
You can give money to them, which directly helps new and innovative ideas in the Austin Independent School District. And like I said, if you're in Houston or San Antonio or Round Rock or Kyle, I'm sure the same is the case. Or perhaps you have had a friend or a relative or a neighbor who struggled with and died from a terrible disease like Alzheimer's or cancer or ALS. So take your time, because you're obviously a young person at 63, and think through your legacy. You could easily live another 25 to 30 years, and you're not going to spend all that money. What would you like to leave? What would you like, where would you like to make a difference in the world? And I would start with a modest amount and understand that you're not making an expenditure. You're not spending this on yourself. You're not buying a fancy car, taking a big trip to Europe. But what you are doing is helping make the world a better place. And so I would would spend some time. I would talk with my spouse because this needs to be a joint conversation. Uh, If you, again, if you have a counselor, a priest, a minister, or other people who are in your life who you just have high regard for, that you've gotten to know and you think highly of. There's an indi- there's a, some data out there that people who give away money report higher, and this is a generality, but, but, I've, but it's been studied, p- people who give away money who are philanthropic have a higher level of happiness because there's a joy in it, and I would encourage you to do that. You're not going to spend it on yourself. Why not try to make the world a better place? And keep me posted. I think it's a really wonderful, you have an opportunity. It's not a liability. It's an opportunity. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. So a few things from last week. Uh, We had a, a caller talk about the ins and outs of buying individual bonds. And uh, our regular listener and my human Wikipedia, Ken, sent me some information on buying bonds. Uh, And he talked about uh, what happens in his situation at Charles Schwab. Now, I want you to know, I'm not advertising for Schwab. I'm not recommending Schwab. I'm not saying that Schwab is the only company that can do this, because it's clearly not. But we talked about buying individual bonds, and uh, he says that Schwab, and we're going to have to assume it's true of other broker-dealers, does not maintain an inventory of its own bonds for sale. When he wants to buy a bond from the Schwab platform, he keys in a few parameters, like the type, corporate bond or municipal bond, the amount, for example, $50,000, in the maturity range desired. He says, then I get a multi-page display of some of these 60,000 bonds. I can sort them by yield to maturity. If the highest yield to maturity has an acceptable to me credit rating, which is also displayed, then I'm buying at that yield to maturity, net of all fees and markups. And when I sell one of these, I can sell all or part of a $50,000 holding. The 5000 is the minimum, he said, he thinks. Then I can go mow the yard and come back later and see what offers have been made for that sale. I'll see the highest offer from multiple dealers, and I can accept or reject by the end of the bond trading day. I'm pretty sure that other platforms are similar. I agree with you, Ken. 
and Schwab is not buying for its own inventory. So liquidity is not as onerous as having to sell the entire holding. And it's good to, I'm learning. I asked Ken, how does Schwab make money? Because they're not doing this for free. Uh, and he said he doesn't know. He, he think he, I think he said he pays a dollar per thousand dollars. Well, that's not going to be easy to make any money at that rate. And because these are bond dealers and not in Schwab's inventory, those bond dealers hold those bonds in their inventory. They've got to have a markup because they're doing this to make a profit. But by having this many bonds, one would think there may be the whole level of competition would help get price, what they call price discovery and attractive prices. So, Ken, thanks for that information. It's time for me to take a break. It's a great time for you to call or text. I'm going to visit with Helen when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Helen, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Hi. I enjoy your show, show so much more than the repetitive shows that come before you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so my question is, I have I have like three CDs coming through due this month. Yes. They're all about $5,000. Yes. I don't know why they're all due at the same time, but oh well. Um I have plenty of money in cash, so I'm not worried about it. Yes. Um, but my question is, what do you think? Roll them over into another CD, add them to the what's in the market, or yeah. what's, what are you thinking right yeah. now? So we this period right now we're in, of, of by recent standards, very high short-term rates, is likely to last probably through 2024, but... There's no guarantee of that, and we get into 2025, we're either going to either the Federal Reserve will have been successful in returning inflation to its two percent target, and then has begun to lower interest rates, or the high interest rates will ultimately cause a recession, at which point the Federal Reserve will lower interest rates also. So uh, anyone who's got uh, cash that they don't want to put at risk, now is an excellent time to extend maturities. In other words, not a six-month CD, but at least a 12-month. I would prefer an 18- to 24-month CD where you can lock in returns that I think 18 and 24 months from now, you'll be glad that you did that. Having said that, well, what? go ahead. Okay. So, oh, okay. So my question is, I can find some that are, you know, pretty good for a year's time, but going further than that, they seem to drop. Well, they do because the that's because the yield curve is inverted. So you get as much in, you know, say a Fidelity government money market fund as you do in a CD, but that's because short-term rates are higher than longer-term rates. But when that yield curve goes back to normal those short rates are going to drop more than the longer-term rates. So, yes, you're going to get a lower return today for a twenty for an 18- or 24-month CD than you will for a one-year CD. But the difference is when that one-year CD matures, you're, you're not going to have – I don't know this, obviously, but you're not going to have the same yield to buy another CD because rates have come down. 
That's why. Yeah, got it. That's why I think if I wanted to have nominal safety, meaning meaning not have any fl- fluctuation in my principal, now's the time to because you don't need the money, you have plenty of cash. Now's the time to extend. Of course, you listen to me, so you know I like actively managed bond funds. I think it's a terrific time to buy an investment grade core bond fund that has an intermediate maturity because I think over the next 24 months, not only are you going to see yields decline, but I think the prices of those bonds are going to appreciate. So it might, but if you're a CD buyer, extend maturities. If you're, if you're not, consider uh, intermediate, what they call a core, C-O-R-E, core bond fund. And of course, there's always, you know, there's never a bad time to buy in the stock market if you're, you know, if you have that three to five year horizon. Uh, but I think we have some, we're not through the, you know, the economy isn't uh, out of the woods yet. And so uh, the stock market is not going to go straight up from here. So I'd extend CDs. Next, I'd buy core bond fund. And third, I'd put, I'd put some of the money in the market, understanding I need to have that longer term perspective. And that's how I think about it, Helen. Okay, and what kind of a rate would you look for? And when you say core bond fund, do yeah. you mean like an ETF? Well, you can, yeah. So, fund? well, so I use the term core because that's what the bond market uses, and it's what Morningstar uses. So, uh, they have core, core plus, multi sector, short term. I mean, I was looking today. And the short-term fund, it's just like your CD comment. I look at an actively managed short-term bond fund, and the year-to-date return is 5.74%. I look at a core bond fund, and it's only 0.93. That's because we have this inverted yield curve. I see that as a buying opportunity. And people are putting, according to the Wall Street Journal, trillions of dollars in money market funds. And I think they're going to ultimately regret it because those rates are going to come down. So you can use an ETF or you can use you can use a passively managed ETF like an iShares uh, and pick the intermediate maturity investment grade. Or you can use actively managed from people like, I mean, there's a lot of good ones like JP Morgan and Fidelity, and there's a lot of them out there who will manage the portfolio. Either any of those, in my, in my opinion, looking back two, two years from now, 18 months from now, I think you're going to be very happy you did that. Okay, great. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I have an incoming test to see. Carl, I was going to invest in an S&P index fund and notice Schwab has a similar ETF fund. Can you tell me the benefits and drawbacks of the ETF? Um, the ETF and this is true of Schwab, it's true of Vanguard, um, and this is you can buy the op- what's called an open-end fund, a traditional mutual fund, and you're going to buy, when you buy it, you're going to get the value of the portfolio at the close of that de- business day. And when you sell it, you're going to get the value of the portfolio at the close of that business day. If you buy the exchange-traded fund, it will trade throughout the business day at whatever level the portfolio is okay so it can go up and down during the day where the op 40 act fund or open end fund doesn't almost always in my experience if you're comparing a passive s&p 500 40 act fund to an etf s&p 500 
the ETF will be slightly cheaper. That's a good thing. So then the question is, would you be paying any kind of transaction fees? Because typically when you buy the open-end fund, uh, as you say, from Schwab, uh, or from, uh, I guess you don't say that, say it's from Schwab or from Fidelity, uh, you're not going to pay a transaction charge. If you buy ETFs and there's a 5 or 10 or $15 transaction charge and it's a one-time purchase and you're going to hold it for several years, go with the ETF. If you're dollar cost averaging and you're putting money in every month and you're going to pay a 5 or 10 or $15 for the ETF and you're not going to pay for the 40-act fund, then you probably ought to buy the 40-act fund. Either way, they're going to be very inexpensive. That's number one. And number two, they're going to be tax efficient. Yes, the stocks in the underlying index pay dividends, so you're going to get you're going to get a 10.99 for the dividends, and you should always reinvest those and increase your cost basis and compound more shares, but you're not going to have capital gains distributions. So that's the, I, that's how I would think about the distinction. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Bob, you're on the air. How may I help? Carl, really enjoying the show so far today. Thank you. A um, couple of the callers in first first off yes. uh, were right up my alley, and I wanted to mention that the one caller asking about bonds. Yes. Um, uh, of course, you and I see bonds differently, Carl. You always want to do a bond fund, and I avoid bond funds. That doesn't make me wrong or right, or you wrong or right. But it's a you certainly have good foundation for your yeah. point of view. Yeah. Um, but never there's no discussions about if you're going to buy an individual bond yeah. here's what you need to look at yeah. and that may be basically because you might be steering somebody in a direction you don't yeah. you don't think they need to be going and that's fine yeah. but uh, I just wanted to comment the only way I've learned about bonds is through my brokers a bond broker right. or other places where you specifically go out and get some background on bonds. Yeah. It's like saying, well, I'm buying stocks. Well, that's a big universe. And so yes. you got to get out there and get it. And um, it, it would be good if some of these issues sometime are visited on your show, but sure. I understand why they're not. Sure. Secondly, Carl, it's a good problem to have, but the caller about uh, having right. been a saver his right. whole life and now yes. he can't spend it. Yes. That's a, it's a it's a horrible problem to have, but it is a problem because yes. I've got it. I know you do. <laughs> you're you're and, so you're so cheap. I mean, <laughs> that's right. But uh, two things in that area. One you touched on, and that is, um, well, if you're at a point in your life where you've got funds and you're yes. you're not you're gonna you're not going to outlive them. Yes. Then look at doing your charities, and that's yes. a perfect one because. Instead of doing it in your will when you drop dead, do them yes. now, and you yes. may be able to get a tax break. Yes, and I think you get the enjoyment of it, too. Well, you know, that's true. You were you exactly it, right on you, that. Second thing I wanted to say was you do have to kind of go left-hand, right-hand, like your other comment. Yes. And I've, I've always been a saver, not for me. You know, I yes. mean, not because I'm, I, I don't spend money because of me. Yes. I don't spend money on me, but I will yes. spend money, say, on my wife. Don't tell yes. her that, but I do. <laughs> And my point is, if you can get your head around it and say, yes. well, these funds are really going to be there for my spouse, yeah. 
yeah. when I'm gone. Yeah. Well, you can start spending them a little bit now, and yeah. you're really spending her money. There <laughs> so you go. I like just it. Just get okay. your head around it. Okay. Thanks for See calling. You later, Carl. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Money Talk. We're at the bottom of the hour. We only have another half hour together, so it's a great time to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here until 5 this afternoon. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Listen right now online at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience, download podcasts of our previous broadcasts and also on the free app SoundCloud. And this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. Here's a text. Carl, it was great hearing your first question about what to do with unneeded funds. We are in the same situation and have found out the hard way. It is not easy donating funds where you are comfortable the funds will go to good use. Our experience has been disappointing so far. Never thought I would be in this position. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm going to talk more about this next week because my colleague, Lindsay, has really made a specialty about helping people understand who, when they have, I know the fancy term, philanthropic intent how to do their own homework, another fancy term, due diligence. There are websites that can help you. Uh, And so I'm going to tell you what what my wife and I did. Let's get a little personal here. We decided there's no shortage of good causes. Nobody comes to you and says, we really have a mediocre cause and we're really expensive and don't get the job done. So we decided, what what do we want to focus on? And we thought, you know, in our view, the two biggest challenges that our country faces today, I'm talking now about domestic challenges, are affordable quality health care, which we do not have. We rank seven, we spend the most and rank 17th in terms of outcomes, and quality education, which we also don't have in many parts of the country. And so when and once you start giving away money, by the way, you'll become remarkably intelligent, charming, and good-looking people will figure out you're giving money and they will come to you. The first cut is if it's not in our wheelhouse, so to speak, it makes it very comfortable for us to decline to do that. And if it is, then it's up to us to do the homework. And you want to visit face-to-face with somebody in the development, fancy term, advancement area. You want to understand the mission you, it's reasonable to ask for the most recent financials, meaning their income statement or balance sheet. Uh, it's important to ask what percentage of their budget is spent in overhead because some uh, organizations say the YMCA is a facilities-based organization. they got to have huge overhead to run those major facilities and swimming pools, whereas, say, Big Brothers Big Sisters is a low overhead nonprofit because it's about setting up one-on-one mentoring. So you 
you have to be thoughtful about this. One of the things I do want to mention, uh, as I was thinking about this uh, during the uh, news in the break, is there's a wonderful thing called a donor-advised fund. And a donor-advised fund allows you to donate the money. Say you're a do-it-yourself investor, like uh, our regular listeners, Bob or Ken. If you do business with Charles Schwab or Fidelity or Vanguard or somebody like that, you they have donor-advised funds. You put the money in there, and then you determine at your own time and place who you want to give it to. To Bob's point, you get a tax deduction, probably, for putting money in the donor-advised fund, and then you can thoughtfully decide what to do. Another example is a community foundation. Many towns and cities have set this up so that you can give money to the community foundation who can help you give the money away. So yes, I, I understand you've had disappointing experiences and I'm sorry for that. And of course, when we started being philanthropic, we didn't give as much money away then as we do now. Also, my colleague Lindsay has told me that in her view, it's better to give more money to fewer nonprofits than to give to a lot. In other words, instead of giving $10 to five nonprofits, give $50 to one. And I think that makes a lot of sense as well. And what I think you will find is, depending on the amount that you give, you're going to get gratitude from that organization, and you're going to start to get their annual report, if they're well-managed, in my view, you're going to also start getting newsletters from them telling you about what they're doing. And my experience is that as a consequence of that over time, you will become more and more comfortable with the enterprise uh, and with what they're doing because it's no doubt a good cause. You wouldn't consider it in the first place. But you'll start to close that distance between you and the 501c3 nonprofit social service organization. And I think that'll be a great thing. Now, I'll finish with this. Having read about this, I understand that the two largest beneficiaries of philanthropy in the United States are educational institutions and religious institutions. I believe the religious institutions are first. And if you think about that, that's not surprising. Because if you go to a church or a synagogue or a mosque for your, during your entire life, then you have a real close connection to that. The other is if you you know, are a proud graduate of a particular high school or a particular college or university, and that, that experience was transformational in your life, and you look back and say, without that experience, I wouldn't have accomplished what I, what I have, that also makes a lot of sense. So this is complicated, uh, and I'm going uh, to bring those websites uh, for next week so we can talk about how to be a thoughtful philanthropist. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call 512-836-0590 or text that number. I had a really interesting experience this week. I had a person ask for multiple year performances of a portfolio that I that I have. And so I went back and looked and it was fascinating uh, and you're and now remember it's this, it's the same portfolio but at different purchase times. And I compared the return to the Bloomberg Ag, which is the generally accepted bond index, 
the MSCI XUS, which is a widely followed international stock index, and the Standard & Poor 500. I use the price as opposed to the total return. Uh, you can do it any other way you want. And so, so for example, I looked at uh, last year, uh, the portfolio was down 10.96%, which if you are an investor, you know how good that is because the ag was down over 13, the S&P 18, the NASDAQ 33, and in the traditional 60% stock, 40% bond balance, it was, the, based on my reading, it was the worst year in 40 years. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're a regular listener, you would just be shocked by this. I think not losing a lot of money in bad times is a key to making good, solid returns over longer periods. That portfolio is up 8.08 year to date. Well, the the total stock market's up 18.05, and the S&P 500 is up 19.2. So wait a minute, I only have up eight. Yeah, but that's what happens if you have a portfolio that not only is diversified, but has non-correlating assets. You can't have it both ways. You can't go down less in bad times and keep up with a stock index in good times. Then I looked at three different inception dates when, when people invested in money. So I looked at one that started uh, on, on October 26th of 2020. Let me look at these. There's 99, 2003. Okay, October 26th of 2020. The equity, U.S. equity market bottomed in September of 2020. So this, this particular portfolio since inception, so that's since, since uh, that was um, a relatively short period of time. Uh, you know what I think? I, it's 2000, not 2020. I'm sorry. J October 26th of 2000. So at the bottom of the market was in September. The, the since inception return was 4%, and the S&P 500 was 9.66. Wow, that's a big difference. But then I looked at a portfolio that began in May of 1999. So that's just, what, about a year and a half earlier. And we didn't know it at the time, but we were finishing the best bull market in our lifetime with five consecutive years of the S&P 500 being over 20%. And so this portfolio through Friday uh, was uh, up 5.31%. And that sounds disappointing, but listen to this. The Bloomberg Ag was 3.31%. The MSCI XUS was 2.89%. And the S&P price was 6.45. So there's a portfolio that got in pretty much near the top of a five-year bull market and was nearly equal to the S&P, but with lower risk. And then here's another one. Just It's just fascinating to me. And I know I'm a nerd, but it is. And this is somebody getting in recently. Well, that's not accurate. March 20th of 2003, 20 years ago. All right, inception, 7.67%. The Bloomberg Ag, 2.99. The MSCI, 4.33. And the S&P, 8.25. So the point is, same portfolio, right? And what happened was it the big swings were a function of when you got in. And in this case, two of the three look really good, one looks stinky, 
because we got a, had a roaring bull market off the bottom in 2000, and this type of portfolio obviously is not going to fully participate in that. I thought it was really fascinating. So when you look at you're considering an investment or if you're working with an advisor and you ask her, can you show me your performance? First of all, the odds are probably no. They can't show you the performance unless they've had it audited. There's all kinds of regulations. You just can't put that out there without having some third party verify that, that these are valid numbers. But you could say, can, you know, how have your clients done? That's a, that's a possibility. So I'm just saying out loud, I think it's fascinating when things happen that way. Time for me to take a break. Great time for you to call 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another 11 minutes. You're running out of time. Call or text 512-836-0590. Mike, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've got a individual stock that I purchased back in the early 90s. Yes. And I purchased it. It was a $10, a little bit over $10 a share. Yes. And I've had that stock ever since. And yes. now I'm getting fixing to retire. And the stock's going for about $5.20 a share. Yeah. Uh, how is that going to affect my taxes for the year? So it's worth less. I'll be taking in- withdrawal start, starting at the beginning of next year, January 1. Now, wait, okay, now you've changed my answer right there, starting withdrawal. So do you own this stock in a retirement account? No, it's an individual stock that I purchased. I know, but is it in your name or is it in an IRA or a Roth? No, 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 it's, it's in my name. Okay. Now, uh, you have, and you're saying you bought it for 10 and now it's worth approximately five and a quarter. Is that right? Yes. So there, unless you sell it, there are no taxes. If you sell it then the loss will you'll take it if you have any other capital gains you'll take that loss and apply it to those capital gains so if you have no other capital gains and this is the only loss you have the law allows you to take three up to three thousand dollars of that loss against against your tax against your taxes okay that's it then you can take that future loss, I beg your pardon, that loss, and you can apply it every year until you've gone through it. So in theory, you have a $30,000 loss and no gains. You could apply that for 10 years because you're taking $3,000 of the loss every year. So you sell the stock, you check if you'll get a 1099 and see if you have any capital gains, and you net out the capital gains and the capital loss. If what's left is a capital gain, then obviously you have a capital gains tax liability. And if what's left is a loss, you can take up to $3,000 of that loss and use it as a, use it to reduce your taxable income. That's how that works. Okay. Thank you very much. You, I appreciate your help. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I've got several things here I can bloviate about. I thought I'd it's some, I thought Bob said something interesting 
which is that I seldom talk about individual bonds, and he's right. Uh, and so let me just tell you some things. First of all, it's not that I don't like bonds, uh, individual bonds. As I've said over the years, the key benefit of owning individual bonds is that unlike every other investment, unlike stocks and mutual funds and exchange-traded funds and real estate, you don't know exactly what your income is going to be, whether that's from rent or dividends or whatever. And you don't know exactly what the future value is going to be because you don't know that till you sell your real estate or you sell your stocks or mutual funds or ETF. You buy a 10-year treasure note, you know, by golly, that you're going to get par value in 10 years. So there's certainty to it. And if you're going to hold them to maturity and you're not interested in what I call total return, but just in the safety of the income and getting the principal back, that's fine. Bonds are complicated. Uh, and let me just do the kind of the, the broad commonality of bonds. And if we have time, get into some level of specificity. But, but by the way, I've still got time to talk with you if you call or text 512-836-0590. So a, a individual bond has several components. It has a date by which it turns into it to maturity. That's called par value, P-A-R. It's $1,000 per bond. It has what's called a coupon, which is the which is the interest rate as a percentage of par value, okay? Back years ago, people would buy bonds and they would get a sheet of small coupons, perforated coupons, and they would send that coupon in to the transfer agent and get a check in return. When I was a little kid, people would say, oh, he's so rich, he just clips coupons. I thought, well, wait a minute. My mom takes coupons to the grocery store. That's what, not what they were talking about. They were talking about owning bonds, clipping that coupon, sending it in, and getting money back. Today, it's all electronic. Okay, so the coupon is a percent on the on the, on the description of the bond. That's number two. So you have a maturity date, and you have a coupon, and then you have an issuer, and then you have a credit rating. Not always, but usually, or at least frequently. So I'm going to make up a bond. Let's say a Procter and Gamble. 5% bond due in 12 years, okay? So what that means is that every bond pays $50 a year, $25 every six months, and in 12 years, if I buy $50,000 of that bond in 12 years, I'm going to get $50,000 back. Now, here's where it gets complicated, these bonds trade, as Ken was saying early in the broadcast when I was quoting him, trade every day. And so a bond that was issued um, three years ago might have been issued with a 3% coupon. But today, the same credit quality might be issued for same maturity with a 6% coupon. So if you have that 3%, you, you go to your bond broker, like Bob talked about in Arlington, you go to your bond broker and you say, I'm looking for bonds. This is the tricky part. You have to look at what the yield to maturity is. Yield to maturity, YTM. Because that's the great leveling force of bonds. A bond with a 3% coupon 
and a bond with a 6% coupon in an environment where 6% is the current market, both of those bonds will be trade close to 6% yield to maturity. But the difference is that bond that was issued when rates were a lot lower, for you to get 6%, you're not going to pay $1,000 a bond for that. You're going to pay a lot less because you're only getting $30 per year per bond. And if you pay $1,000, you're only getting a 3% yield to maturity when you can buy this other bond with a 6% yield to maturity. So that bond with a 3% coupon will be <clears throat> priced at what's called a discount. It also works in the other direction. Let's suppose, because rates are higher than they have been, you buy a bond, a 10-year bond with a 6% coupon at par. That would be a 6% yield to maturity. And let's suppose that two years from now, interest rates have dropped, and let's pretend that they've dropped so much that we're in a 3% world. Okay, That bond, you can sell for a premium. You can sell it for more than what you paid for it, because someone's willing to pay more for it to get that $60, which equals a 3% yield to maturity. So I didn't suggest this was simple. I didn't say it was easy because bonds trade at premiums and bonds trade at par and bonds trade at discounts. That's why if you've been listening to the broadcast all, all today, which certainly I know you have, Ken said he looks when he gets all those bids from his Schwab account, he gets all those bids and he looks at their yield to maturity, not their price. He looks at the, he looks at the maturity level, what, how long does he want to buy the bond to go, and he looks at the credit rating. And if it's in this maturity range he's interested in, and it's a credit rating that he's willing to accept, then he's going to look for the highest yield to maturity. He's indifferent if the yield all comes in the form of current income or if, it all, if it's partly current income and partly appreciation. Now, here's finally the tricky part. You buy a bond at $1,100 and it matures eight years from now for $1,000. You didn't lose $100 because you got extra income during that time period because the coupon was higher. So you bought those on a yield-to-maturity basis, and it all evens out that way. Obviously, if you are a person who wants income, then buying a discount bond with a low coupon, not such a good idea because you want income. You're going to want to buy a bond that has more income, and you're willing to sacrifice total return for that. Now, if you're not totally confused by that, then you never have to listen to Money Talk again. But if you are totally confused, good. Thank you, Garrett, for your good job. And if you're confused, you know what that means. Next Saturday, after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 